I only laugh that loud on those kind of jokes because my wife's not in here. Otherwise, Bill, I know better. <laughs> First Corinthians. This is our last week in First Corinthians. You never thought that day would come, did you? But what I want to do real quickly is review so that we don't use a whole nother week reviewing. We're going to review today and then we're going to go through chapter 16. So what I'd like you to do is go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and as we review, we'll, we'll uh, march through 1 Corinthians real quick, just for a few minutes, And uh, but I want you to look at the verses as we go through there. All right, does anybody remember, real quickly, uh, who sent the letter to Paul that uh, prompted this letter? Brother Kevin. Yes, the house of Chloe. Was it Chloe herself? We don't know, but it came from the house of Chloe. And she sent a letter to Paul. Obviously, she was an early Christian and said, hey, here's some issues in the church. And here's some questions the church has for you uh, for how we should conduct uh, business and how we should conduct ourselves and our, our, what the doctrine should be. So the house of Chloe is who it came from. Does anybody remember the four uh, divisions in the church at Corinth? Give me one of them. It said some are of Miss Barbara, Apollos. Apollos. Some of Paul. Yep, Bill got Paul. Brother Kevin, Cephas. Cephas. Last one. Brother, what did you say, Ryan? Achaia. Nope. So Achaia was the city, one of the cities that that they were coming from. <laughs> Josh got it. I should have asked Charlie. Jesus Christ. Yep, Apollos, Cephas. Paul and Christ. All right, now, does anybody remember this? Apollos was a Christian. He, didn't, he wasn't saved at Corinth, but he got saved and came to Corinth, and who discipled him and kind of got him back on track for some of the things he was maybe wrong on or got him really excited about being in ministry? Does anybody remember that, Miss Barbara? Priscilla and Aquila and Priscilla, which is interesting because... Aquila and Priscilla were not Corinthians either. They had left uh, Jerusalem because of the persecution and ended up at Corinth. And then here came Apollos. He was a great speaker, but they corrected him on a few things. And you can see, you can find that um, in, in, I think, chapter 2. But either way, these are just questions we're going through. So anyways, yes, Aquila and Priscilla uh, helped Apollos really take off in his ministry and kind of corrected him on a few things. So here's what we want to do uh, in in the way of review. Those were just a few questions, but this is the overview of the whole book. So we have reasons for writing, and first of all, there was seven corruptions, all right? This is where you're going to follow with me through 1 Corinthians. So uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 1 through 9 was just introduction. Remember, he's saying his, his hellos, who's this letter to, and then in verse 10, he gets into the letter, and the first corruption that he addresses is the following of human leaders, and that's where we see the four different divisions. Now I beseech you, verse 10, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Uh, for, uh, let's see, that's where he says, Chloe sent me this letter, um, but... Uh, verse 12, now this I say that every one of you saith, I'm of a Paul, I am of Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. So there's our four divisions. They were following human leaders, and Paul addresses that corruption. The second thing is in verse 18 of chapter 1. 
Um, they were favoring earthly wisdom. Now, I didn't, I didn't always call it these, or you may not have noticed that they were all alliterated, but they're all Fs, all right? So uh, sometimes in preaching, and in, especially in teaching, I think, uh, weird words get used to try to make it alliterated. So, but we are going to notice that here as we just fly through them. But verse 18, they were favoring earthly wisdom. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, foolishness but unto us which are saved it's the power of God. Um, and we talked about the power of the cross, the power of preaching, the foolishness of preaching that God uses. And that was verses 8, 18, 1, 18 through chapter 2, verse 13. Then we got into the third corruption, and that was the Corinthian church. The new Christians were floundering in the flesh. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2, and you'll remember this. Uh, it seems like it wasn't that long ago, and that it seems like it was ages ago at the same time. But verse 14, we talked about the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And what did we say that spiritually discerned means? What is spiritually discerned? Does anybody know looking at that verse? I remember when we went through this saying, it doesn't, didn't really make sense to me, like I've always thought of this growing up as uh, Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. The people are spiritually discerned, but that's not what the natural man is not spiritually discerned. What's spiritually discerned? Uh, the things of the Spirit of God. That's why the natural man can't understand them because he doesn't have the Spirit of God in him. So he cannot uh, receive the things of the Spirit of God because those things are spiritually discerned. So you have to be a spiritual man or a, a saved person with the Spirit of God. In you. All right. The fourth thing is in chapter three in verse eight. And remember, Paul, Paul's choice of uh, the way he likes to change topics is with the word now. Right. So you see that in verse eight. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. The fourth thing was forgetting future judgment. And as you go through uh, verses eight, it only goes through through verse 18. But he's talking about our works, how they're going to be uh, tried by fire and all of that. So they had forgotten the future judgment that was coming, and they were doing a lot of things for themselves and for the, for the now. And Paul reminds them of future judgment coming. Now, uh, the fifth corruption that he was addressing was they were flattering themselves. And you'll see that starting in chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And this is where we saw Paul saying, I'm, I don't care how you judge me. I think it's in verse, uh, th verse 3. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. They were flattering themselves instead of judging themselves, right, so that they would not be judged uh, for for the wrong things later. So that was chapter four. The uh, sixth corruption is they were failing to discipline. And this is a passage we know fairly well. Uh, but chapter five, this is all of chapter five, starting in verse one. It's reported commonly that there's fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. Now, the problem was not necessarily uh, the fornication. It was the problem, but that's not what Paul was addressing. What Paul was addressing is in verse 2. And ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he hath done this deed, uh, that, that, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from you. For verily 
I, uh, for I verily as absent in the body, but present in the spirit have judged already as though I were present. So he's saying, you guys are not taking care of this problem. This is going to happen. Thing, these things happen. We're humans. You've got to take care of it. And the church had just kind of been like, eh. most likely a leader had gotten into trouble and they were just, all right. I mean, he's the, he's the leader. We're not going to, we're not going to cross him. So that's what Paul is uh, addressing there. Their failure to discipline this sin. Um, not necessarily that sin itself. Then he, then he corrects the sin uh, in chapter uh, 6. Or sorry, he gets into that in chapter 7, sorry. Chapter 6 is the seventh corruption, and that is fragmenting the body. Um, and look at verse 1 of chapter 6. Dare any of you, having a matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? And this is where he t- talks all about the church. Try to keep the problems, fix them in the church. You have wise men in the church that can fix this. You don't need to go to a judge because he says that, and I didn't go through all these verses, but if I can see it real quickly, um, uh, there we go, verse two. Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? He's saying, don't take, don't take this stuff to a judge. It's not just church matters. If you've been wronged civilly by somebody, don't go to a judge. If, if anything, take it to your pastor and, and you guys figure it out in the church. And the, why, why was that? So that you don't bring a reproach to the name of Christ by these church, these Christians who are already looked at as crazy. They can't, they can't get along and all the rest of that. So fragmenting the body was the seventh corruption. Then in chapter 7, Paul switches gears and starts answering their questions. And the first uh, question he answers is chapter 7 uh, the, concerning marriage. And this is where we went through um, <clears throat> virgins and widows and marriage and all that. Now concerning the things, uh, chapter 7, verse 1, whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch the woman. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman have her own husband. And we had a discussion on this. And then Paul says, because of persecution, because of how difficult it is, I would that you remained as I am. Paul was single. I would that you remained as I am, but I'm not requiring you to do that. And we had a pretty good discussion there. He's saying if, if you feel like uh, you need to be married and, and God has led you to the right person, by all means, get married. Uh, but he's saying for this particular time, because of the persecution and the tough, how tough it is uh, to be a Christian, especially like Paul traveling around, I would that you remained even as I am. Then we saw in chapters 8 through 10, we spent some time on this. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 1, Christian liberty. And we had those three chapters there talking about meat offered to idols and all the rest of that. But chapter 8, verse 1, now as touching things offered unto idols, there is his word again now. So he's changing topics. We know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And he goes through all that Christian liberty. And he uses the particular of meat offered to idols in that. But the principle is there for us for for Christian liberty. Chapter 11, then, he addresses. Now, remember, these are all questions they had for him. So he's not reproving them. He's exhorting them and teaching them uh, in this last half of the book. Uh, But chapter 11, church conduct. We talked about the rules for the Lord's Supper and those those different things. Uh, And and remember, we said chapter 11, verse 1, really is kind of a continuation of chapter 10 because... Uh, the now, the change in topic is in verse 2, um, not saying that the Bible is, you know, this is completely wrong, but it just kind of lands in a, in a funny spot. Be you followers of me, 
even as I also am of Christ, seems to kind of fit at the end of chapter 10, but the, the chapter and verse divisions are not the inspired word of God. Those were done later to be able to find things easy. But we didn't dwell on that a whole lot, but in chapter two, 11, verse 2, we saw him start talking about this church conduct. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances as I delivered them to you. This is uh, the Lord's Supper. Then chapters 12 through 14, and now we're getting to a lot more recent things. And I know some of y'all were, were sick for a few weeks there, so probably uh, would have missed some of this. But chapters 12 through 14, we talked about spiritual gifts. All right, and you see that in chapter 12, verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. Um, and we talked all about that. Chapter 12, he touches on tongues and then gets right off of it. Uh, and so we, we brought up the, uh, this his, his, history of tongues, of the modern tongue movement. There uh, in the early, early 1900s with the Sousa Street Revival, and all of that, that's where the modern tongue movement came from. And it actually came from the Southern Baptists, a Southern Baptist minister uh, who said, I want a revival of this gift of tongues. And so he got into, uh, really started pushing that and started an institute and everything else. And I think they had like 40 students that uh, committed to um, fast and pray for seven days or whatever. I don't have the specifics in front of me anymore until they got this gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where the Azusa Street revivals kind of started. And um, anyways, then chapter 13, he seems to get off the topic of tongues. Uh, and he does. He's, he's much more talking about spiritual gifts, the gift of charity. And verse 13, uh, chapter 13, verse 1, he's talking about all these gifts. If I use all these things and, have not, and don't do it with a spirit of charity or a heart of love, they're completely worthless. And the first thing he mentioned there was, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And, and this is what one of the things we talked about in these three chapters, chapters 12 through 14, is the Corinthians were putting such an emphasis on tongues, the, the gift of tongues. And then we got into chapter 14, and I just talked to Brother Nitton uh, yesterday. We did a, he asked if he could do a Zoom call just, uh, just to, to talk, and we did, uh, both of our families. And, and he brought this up, and I, wasn't, I didn't belabor the point, but it is a good point to remember that Paul was not dealing with the tongues of today, right? And, and Brother Nitton said that on the call yesterday. He was like, I've never, I've never thought of that, but it makes, a, a, it makes sense, and B, it changes a lot. Paul wasn't dealing with gibberish. He was dealing with real languages and instructing them how to, how to conduct a service when you have more than one language in it. Uh, that's not what we're dealing with today. There is no interpreters for the most part. Every once in a while they will, but they're not edifying the body of Christ. And they'll even say, when you speak in tongues today, this for me. I, if nobody else understands it, this is to edify me. That's not what the spiritual gifts were for. And we saw that uh, in chapters 12 through 14. The gifts uh, uh, that God gave them were for the body of Christ. Um, if I can find it. I want to say it's in chapter 12, verse 11, but I don't think that's the verse I'm looking for. Um, let's see, let's see. Talking about the body. Either way, the, the verse is definitely in there where he says, the gifts are for the edification of the body of Christ. And that's not what the modern tongue 
movement is about. But then, so in chapter 14, he's very specifically talking. What is it? Of chapter 12? Yes. 14. Yeah, it's not the one I'm looking for, but yes. It, anyway, it's in, the, it's in the early part of chapter 12, I think. Because, um, yeah, in verse 14, he starts talking all about the body, and that might be what I'm thinking, but I thought it was just before that. So he's talking about get, the actual individual gifts there, but either way. He, he, he does mention that it's, it's for, the, for the edification, and it might be 14 that I'm thinking of, and I, I just talked about it. Verse 7? Yes, that's a little closer. I don't think that's the verse I'm thinking of, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. That's the idea it's for, for everybody's profit. But either way, not going to dwell on it. I can't, I can't find it. I should have wrote it down, but... He's talking about the, the gifts being for the body of Christ, for everyone. And chapter 14 is very specifically talking about tongues, basically the whole chapter, and how it needs to be done in the church. <clears throat> Still spiritual gifts, um, but that's chapter 14 is where we talked about this is, this is not you know somebody getting up and not hooting and hollering, because that's not really what tongues is, but talking this gibberish and somebody going, oh, this is what the Lord said or this is what God's saying through him. Because if you, I, I even read a little article or part of an article about the, a Pentecostal, um, a person from the Pentecostal church, his testimony saying, this is for me. This, this, when I speak in tongues, it's for me. And that's not what spiritual gifts are for. It's to edify the body. So then in chapter 15, uh, the fifth question that Paul addresses is the resurrection. And this was just last week. Uh, so fresh on our minds, but he's talking about the resurrection. And we had the Sadducees, who don't believe in the resurrection at all. Does anybody else remember the other group? Really weird name, but we're kind of familiar with it because of the Bible, that believed that they could prove through science there was no afterlife. You remember? Epicurean? The Epicureans. They, they believed that they could prove through science there was no afterlife, therefore debunking this resurrection. And Paul goes through, hey, if, there, if Christ wasn't raised from the dead, our hope, we have no hope. And of all men in the world, we're the most miserable because we're banking on that resurrection. And, and then verse 15, uh, Paul says, I mean, chapter 15, uh, verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. So like as Christ was raised from the dead, we're going to raise from the dead uh, or... And verse, somebody's going to have to help me, where he says, um, we're, we're not all going to sleep, but we shall all be changed. Does anybody have that verse? It's in, it's in chapter 15. Uh, verse 50, verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. So we're either going to be uh, raptured when we're still alive, or we're going to be raised from the dead. Either way, we're all going to have... Uh, may have this change take place. Um, <clears throat> and we said the first fruits of them that slept. Christ was not the first to raise from the dead, right? Because he raised Lazarus from the dead, but he was the first to raise from the dead and never die again. Uh, you had a couple that went to be with God. Remember, Enoch, God took him, but he never died. So Christ is the first 
and the first fruits. He's the first one that raised from the dead and never died again when he, when he ascended. And that brings us to chapter 16. Paul has one last question that he's going to address, and then he, then he says all of his goodbyes and uh, says goodbye for a few other people. And we will look at that just because it's, it's people that the Corinthian church would have known. Uh, so in chapter 16, verse 1, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, it's interesting, uh, <clears throat> and I think, I think often we get so um, familiar with Bible language, or, or the, the, especially the King James Version, we kind of get familiar with it, and things don't stand out to us that if we were reading it for the first time, you might go, what? The collection for the saints? The world's idea of saints is what? Mother Teresa, uh, some of these that are, are dead. And so I, I looked this up because there are, does anybody know how many requirements there are for a saint, a Catholic saint? Five, okay. And uh, does anybody know what any of them are? The Chris? You, you have to have done a proven miracle, all right? Now, it, it gets kind of uh, murky, all the requirements, but I'll just, I'm not going to read this article, but I'm going to read you the five steps. The first one is you have to wait five years after you're dead, all right? There, you have to have waited five years, so they can't even be uh, recommended for sainthood until they've been dead at least five years. The, the second one is you have to become a servant of God, so... It would be, you know, any, any church um, worker. Obviously, Mother Teresa was a servant of God there in India. The third one is you have to show proof of a life of heroic virtue. Um, and there's, it, it's very, I would say, subjective uh, to the church leadership. And this is pretty much particularly Catholic, but we've gotten to where, you know, St. Paul and St. Peter and where we even you know, I wouldn't say us, but the world would think, oh, they are, they're the saints, all right? The fourth step uh, is verified miracles, and then the last one is canonization, which is kind of uh, funny, but it's a, it says this, canonization is the final step in declaring a deceased person a saint. To reach this stage, a second miracle normally needs to be attributed to prayers made to the candidate after they've been beatified, beatified, Martyrs, however, only need one verified miracle to become a saint. So that's one of the, basically a shortcut to sainthood, be a martyr. All right. Um, <clears throat> so what is Paul saying here now concerning the collection for the saints? He's not talking about all these requirements. He's talking about Christians that were in need. Every Christian, every born again believer is a saint. Um, because you'll see it, it, and it's, if you look up saint, the word saint in the, the Bible, it's everywhere. In every context, it's talking about Christians. It's just talking about Christian people. Uh, so collect, concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Now, very likely, these letters that Paul wrote would have been passed around. So they would have, they would have read this letter to the Galatians. It would have been passed to their church, and they would have read that letter. It was their... Uh, their uh, statement of faith, sort of, for the, new, for the New Testament church, and they would have read this. So he's saying, 
as I gave order to the churches of Galatia, you do that too. So they would have already known kind of what that uh, instruction was. Then he gives a little bit more instruction. Verse 2, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And you got to remember that the church at Corinth, remember we said Corinth was a very prosperous city. They were right on these trade routes. They were on the is, the uh, the Isthmian Canal there. They were right there and all this trade. And so they were very wealthy. Uh, and a lot of these people in the church at Corinth were very likely could have been tradespeople, business owners, things like that. So they may have had money. The church at Corinth, from history, it doesn't sound like they struggled financially all that much. Now, the church at Jerusalem was struggling. They were being persecuted, uh, and in other places they were being persecuted as well. And, and they basically had been out, cast out so that even their businesses, nobody would go to a business if they were known to be a Christian except other Christians. Well, if all these business owners have lost all their business, they need to go to these people for food, but they don't even have money to give them. And so Paul go, is going around to all these churches collecting money for these saints that are in a hard time. And he says that in verse 2, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. That's different than everybody tithe. That's give as God has prospered you. Be, be uh, giving sacrificially as God has proffered, prospered you. That, that says, hey, you're struggling too? I'm not making you give everything you've made. As God has prospered you, give to the saints that are in need. And it's, it's uh, the, these, separate, these individual churches uh, very likely were meeting in homes and things like that. So they wouldn't have had the bills and things like we have today. They may have... Uh, gave the gave the pastors or the teachers a little bit for their work uh, because Paul is the one that says uh, uh, that a, that a preacher is worthy of double honor and all the rest of that double respect also possibly double money but at this point most of these were bi bivocational teachers they had another job that they were working and then they were teaching on the side now with Apollos it does sound like maybe Apollos was full-time ministry and some of these others but uh, Paul is uh, not saying this collection is for the church, for church ministry necessarily. He's saying this collection was for the saints uh, that are struggling. Could have been saints struggling in the Corinthian church, but it was because we'll see later uh, in verse 3, And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your, your liberality unto Jerusalem. So he's very clearly saying this these gifts, this liberality is what he calls it, but these gifts will send it to Jerusalem uh, for those that are in need. And when I come, you guys pick whoever you want to send, and he can come with me to Jerusalem and take your gifts there. So it wasn't a collection for the church, uh, even though I think the principle is there for the collection at our church you know, or at, at, a, at a local church now, the way we uh, do things. Bring it in on the first day of the week. Uh, as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Um, don't save it up. And I don't, I don't, this isn't necessarily here, but the idea is here. Don't, don't, you know, save it for six months and then drop a chunk because the church needs that money to continue to, uh, that cash flow, what we would call it today, that there be no gatherings when I come, I think is the idea uh, there that Paul is saying. Don't Bring it every single week on the first day of the week and, and just keep that, 
uh, cash flow coming because these people need it and we're depending on that. All right, then let's see. Verse four. Uh, and if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. So Paul is saying, we'll send somebody that you trust with your money and all that to Jerusalem. And if I, I can make it with him, I will, will go with him. But pick somebody out because there's a good chance I'm not going to be able to go. Uh, if it be meet that I go also, then they shall go with me. Um, and then in verse five, he kind of changes uh, his instruction a little bit. He's, he's now um, giving them information instead of saying, hey, this is what you need to do. And remember, this is, a, this is um, a question that he is giving them an answer to. He's not saying, hey, you guys need to be given more money. They had asked, what about the collection? When do we give it? How much is required? And that's why Paul says, as God has prospered him. Uh, so this is a question they brought to him. But then he changes a little bit uh, his direction in verse 5 and says, Now, I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. Um, Paul's telling them, I'm coming. He's, and this is, not a, this is not a threat. He's saying, I'm, I'm coming. Remember, does anybody remember how long Paul spent in Corinth that first time? Miss Barbara. Yep, 18 months. He was there for a long time. He got to know these people, these Christians. He was uh, their spiritual father. He led them to Christ. There is a bond there. And that's, I, that's part of why Paul can be so, uh, blunt might not be the word, but so direct in answering their, the issues that Chloe brought up. But also, we talked about this at the beginning, you can hear Paul's heart when he's, even when he's reproving them. He's not mad at them. He wants the best for them because he, he loves this church. And we'll see that here in a little bit. He actually expresses that unlike he does in any of his other epistles uh, at the end. But verse 5, he says, I'm coming. And it might be, it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. And there's a whole lot here, but Paul is not just asking them, hey, you got a place for me to say? He's saying, I'm coming. I'll probably spend the whole winter with you. And I'm relying on you guys to, for all the needs that I have. You see that in verse 6. Um, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now, by the way, but I will trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. And that's interesting, too, because Paul has said before, if the Lord will, this is what you're supposed to say. I'll do this if the Lord will. And then he gives them that example here. If the Lord permits me. This is what I'm going to do. But I'm going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. Why? It's not just, I'm tired, bro. Y'all wore me out. There's a reason. And I think this is important that uh, uh, important for us too. But verse uh, 9, he says, I'm going to tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So he's got two things going on here. The door is opened for him to share the gospel here. And he says, I can't, I can't just walk away from it. It's a really great opportunity for me to spread the gospel in Ephesus. And if you read, uh, there's other accounts of Paul at Ephesus. And remember, he goes into the arena and they're, they're chanting, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And Paul is addressed. So Paul had a lot going on here. And he says, I can't just walk away. But the end of verse 9 is interesting. A great door is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. And how does that fit? Well, I, I wrote this down. 
um, and it, this is not a quote from anywhere, but the idea came from someone else. But it says, opposition doesn't discourage God's preacher. It excites fresh courage in him. What discourages a preacher is when his hearers harden their, uh, harden their necks and refuse to change. That's what discourages a preacher. You, you see when, when the pandemic happened and they said, you're shutting your churches down. What did that do to the preachers? It excited them. No, we're not. No, we're not. We're, we're still having church, right? What discourages a preacher is when he preaches his heart out and the people harden their necks and say, Mm-mm, I'm not changing. I don't care what you say. Or they just don't, don't change. They may not say that, but they just don't change. That discourages a preacher. But Paul here is saying, I'm staying in Ephesus. There's a lot of adversaries and, I, and the work is, is exciting here. I'm staying, but I'm going to come to you. Now, verse 10 is also interesting. He's instructing them how to treat God's man, no matter his age. Now, if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear. Without fear to who? To Timothy. He's, he doesn't know the Corinthians. As far as we know, he's not been here before. And Paul's saying, I'm going to send Timothy. He's my son in the faith. He is, uh, he's great. He's a good preacher. He's, he loves God, but he's young. And don't make him be afraid of you because remember, the people at Corinth, they're, they're orators. They pride themselves on their, their knowledge and their uh, culture, maybe, what we, is what we would call it. Who knows what Timothy's background was as far as that goes, culture and everything else. Uh, Timothy could have been, uh, you know, a redneck maybe, like what we would call he said, don't make him be afraid of you. Uh, verse 10, for he worketh the work of the Lord, even at, or as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct, but, comf- but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. So anyway, he's given some instruction about, hey, Peter, uh, Timothy's coming. Treat him with respect. He's young. But he's doing the work of the Lord, even as I am. Treat him like you would treat me. And it's interesting because Paul does that again with somebody else. Does anybody know who else he does that with um, and says, hey, treat him the same way you would treat me? It's a completely different book. Did I hear you, Ryan? Not Stephen. It's Philemon. He tells uh, Philemon uh, to treat Onesimus the same way I, that you would treat me. I'm sending him in my stead. And, and Onesimus was a runaway slave, and Paul has that heart. He, uh, Onesimus gets saved under Paul, and Paul sends him back and says, hey, go back to your, your uh, master. But he's writing to Philemon saying, hey, take him the same way you would me. And he says that to the Corinthians here with, with Timothy. Uh, he's, he's doing the work of the Lord. Don't, don't make him fear you because you won't won't respect him or won't accept what he's got all right then let's see verse 12 now he's starting to he's starting to mention lots of names here he's he's winding down saying hey and from this family and from these people they greet you but verse 12 as touching our brother apollos i greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren but his will was not at all to come at this time but he will come when he shall have convenient time um it's not that apollos didn't want to come apollos was caught up in other ministry work in other places and could not it's he's just not able to come but when is when is a convenient time he'll come uh and obviously they had asked about apollos because paul's addressing their questions they probably say hey is, is apollos coming anytime soon have you heard from him they didn't have the email and cell phones and everything like we have they have not heard from him and they're wondering where, where he's at 
And so he addresses that. And Apollos, remember, he was one of the four that, they, that the church was following. One of the factions was following. So they know him. They love Apollos. Apollos did most of his early work in the church at Corinth. They want him to come to, and he's going to, but just not yet. Verse 13 is some instruction now. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, and be strong. Act like men. You've got to be strong. This is, these are tough times, but watch for false teachers. Remember the whole book, he's been talking about false teachers and uh, wolves and sheep's clothing coming in. Um, uh, and so he says that in verse 13. Watch ye. Stand fast in the faith, all this doctrine I've given you, stand, stand firm on it, don't back off of it, and act like men and be strong. Let all things be done with all your things be done with charity, reiterating chapter 13. I beseech you, brethren, ye know the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, uh, that ye submit yourselves unto such, and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. Uh, the house of Stephanus, Achaia, was one of the uh, port cities. So he's, he's from Corinth, and he says uh, it is the first fruits of Achaia, one of the first Christians, if not the first Christians, uh, that household, uh, when Paul got to Corinth and started the church there. Uh, Stephanus is the first fruits there, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. Likely, Stephanus is still at Corinth, and he's telling them, you follow his example that ye submit yourselves unto such and to everyone else that helpeth with us and laboreth. So follow what these guys are doing. Submit yourselves to them. They're the ones that are the, the true uh, teachers. They're not false teachers. Submit yourselves unto such and others that teach like them. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and, Ache and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your, your part they have supplied. So it sounds like they came to Paul uh, at some point and brought him uh, what he needed, and he's saying, thank you for sending them, and you couldn't be here in person, but they, they were here in your stead, and they have refreshed my spirit and yours. They brought good news of, of uh, the church at Corinth. So as much bad as we read in the, in the book that Paul is addressing, there was also a lot of good happening there too, and Paul has said they refreshed my spirit and yours, and therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. Uh, now verse 19 like I said, these are kind of all of his, his goodbyes. Um, let me make sure I'm not missing any of my notes that I wanted to say. Okay, yep. So we're winding down. Verse 19, the churches of Asia salute you, Aquila and Priscilla. Remember, they were there under persecution. They had come to Corinth, uh, taught Apollos the, the, the doctrine he was lacking in. And he's saying, hey, they salute you too. I'm with them here. Uh, salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And Paul was, Paul was at Ephesus now. Remember, he said, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to, I'm going to stay here until Pentecost. So he's there. Aquila and Priscilla are in Asia, I mean, in Ephesus with him. Uh, I salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And in verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet you one another with an holy kiss, just their way of greeting. Uh, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. So you see, verse 21 is, is just an interesting thing since this is Sunday school. Paul, in some of his epistles, there are some where he doesn't say this, and it's because he uh, had, uh, what, what is it when you talk, talk and somebody else writes? What, not scribe, what did you say, Scott? Tra Transcribing, is that the word I'm looking for? Anyway, yes, 
He has somebody else writing everything for him. Remember, Paul's, we believe he had really bad eyesight, and who knows what shape his body was in with all the beatings and everything else that he went through, but he has somebody else write for him. Verse 21, we, Paul was writing this with his own hand, the salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. He's, he's finishing this letter uh, in his own pen, in his own handwriting. Verse 22, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema Maranatha. And, and, and that, that, those two words, anathema is, let him be accursed. Maranatha, Maranatha is, the Lord come quickly. So he's saying they're going to be accursed at the judgment. Um, and he's, and he's, it's just another reproof. Don't make sure that anybody that doesn't truly love the Lord Jesus Christ, get them out of, out of your midst. Hopefully they'll change. Verse 23 is his goodbye. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And that's normally how he ends every epistle, right? But you can see the heart of Paul for the Corinthian church in verse 24. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. He doesn't end his epistles like that. But he loves the church of Corinth. They are uh, they're close to his heart. He spent a lot of time there, a lot of effort. And everything he does in 1 Corinthians... Everything he says, every reproof, every uh, correction is because he loves them so much. And he wants them uh, to, to follow after truth. As he said in verse uh, 13, stand fast in the faith, act like men, and I love you, and goodbye. And that's how he closes this letter. But those verses 21 through 24 very likely were in Paul's own handwriting. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus Amen. And you can kind of see that uh, or feel that same thing. Um, I know when, when Nitin left for India, uh, we got really close there in those last couple of years. And so even yesterday when we were talking, you, you feel that same, man, I, I love him in Christ and I miss him, but he's doing God's work. And that's where Paul's at. I can't come right now. I love you all uh, in Christ Jesus. Stand fast, quit ye like men and be strong. So hopefully that was a help to you. The next book we're going to get into is Psalms. We're going to go through chapter. I'm just kidding. We'll be there for 150 weeks, right? Now, uh, Brother Josh, starting next week, is going to get into his own series. Uh, I'm not sure how long that'll be, probably uh, 10 or 12 weeks or so. And then I, I'm not sure how long it's going to be. I don't even know his topic, but he's going to do a series. And part of the reason we're doing that is because pastor's going to Israel. And so instead of me doing Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night. Brother Josh will help split that up so it's perfect timing for him to take over. And then when he's done, we will get into the names of God, names of Christ, and do a series on that, all right? So I'm excited about that. It's a really good study, and uh, that's where we are going to end for today. First Corinthians is done, and Brother Josh will pick up next week, all right? Hopefully you enjoyed this. I really enjoyed studying it. Uh, studying it out and putting it together. Learned a lot. Hopefully you learned a lot. Maybe change your ideas on a few things. Pastor, uh, as part of the reason we're sending him to Israel or letting him go to Israel or whatever you want to call it is so that he will see some of this stuff. And in his teaching, it'll, it'll help him to help us understand what's going on. But let's pray and then we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you uh, that we can uh, read it, that we have it. We can study it freely. And uh, God, I just pray that many of the reproofs and the instruction that Paul gave the church at Corinth are for us still today, that we would watch, we would stand fast in the faith, 
act like men and be strong in what we know is right. And I pray that you would encourage us uh, as a church to do that uh, for, your, for your name. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're dismissed.